So we've been uh, looking at 2 Corinthians. We started last week the section in 2 Corinthians where Paul is answering his critics, <clears throat> and he has many. Uh, they have said he is unimpressive in person, he's boring, uh, that his uh, ministry is weak, that he is weak. And they've even used as proof of the weakness of his ministry the fact that uh, he did not allow himself to be paid by the uh, church in Corinth. Um, he's using a lot of sarcasm and a lot of irony in the way he addresses that. And he continues that today. And in this section uh, that we're going to read, he uh, is defending his ministry again, but this time he's going to give them his resume. The list of all the great things that he's done. So just stick with me as we read this uh, this morning, because if we had a uh, request for support of a missionary who gave us this resume, as great as our missions committee is, I bet we would reject him. So that says more about us, frankly, than it does uh, 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 about uh, about the missionary. So Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things... There's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who's weak? And I'm not weak. Who is made to fall? And I'm not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window and the wall and escaped his hands. So uh, <clears throat> let me just say at the outset, this is a incredibly difficult passage for us, really hard. And the reason why it's, it's hard is because uh, 
while we pay lip service um, to weakness and we pay lip service to these sorts of things and that our boast ultimately is in Christ, in practice, we don't believe that. I'll show you how I know that to be true. Um, What you have to see about this text is the issue of when the rubber meets the road, what is the thing that sustains you? What is your boast? What is it, not just that you're proud about or that you brag on, but what is it that you depend on uh, to define you, to direct you, to help you, and to demonstrate ultimately to whom you belong. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, as I mentioned, I spent uh, a fair amount of time with uh, my dad in North Carolina, taking care of some stuff with him and taking him back and forth to his uh, daily treatments. And my dad insists while we're doing this that we drive his car, which is fine. He wants us to drive his car, so we're going to drive his car. And I'm glad to drive his car because uh, uh, it gives me a chance to see how his car's doing. And it was not doing well. And so I told my brother uh, as I was getting ready to leave, I'm like, hey, I, I think dad's car's in trouble. And I think, I think we should take it in and get it fixed before something terrible happens to it. And he's like, nah, his car's fine. I drive that car all the time. Okay, big brother. Thanks for that. After all, I am just a pastor. I'm stupid about cars. I don't know anything about this. Okay, fine. I'll take that. So I got a text from my brother on Friday saying, hey, you're right about dad's car. At that point, I had a choice to make. (laughs) Right? Really? Oh, yeah, it's going to be in the shop until Tuesday. Um, So what I know about why this text is so difficult is the exhilaration of vindication that I felt in that moment. And what I realized about myself was, you know... I have a reputation to maintain. I have a certain way for people to look and think about me. And yes, I did it. Has nothing to do with the gospel, has nothing to do with my identity in Jesus, and everything to do with my resume. What I have, my gifts, my perspective, my experience. And so what Paul's giving us in this text is a real challenge because the fact is um, we are, uh, we're resume builders. That's what we are. That's what we do. We, and, and, and not only are you about that in yourself in the sense that you, you have certain things that you believe define you. And if you don't believe that, then just let somebody tell you you're wrong about something. And, and then you find out that you're right. Just how exhilarating that is, right? Or, or just how much it robs you of any sense of worth and value when you are shown to be wrong about something, right? 
But the fact is, the, the, the bottom line for us is that we are scrapping for that kind of stuff all the time. And what Paul gets to in this text is, that's what the super apostles are doing because they're accomplished. They're, they're gifted. They're great speakers. They are, they are people who are dynamic and attractive and uh, the kind of people that we're drawn to. They went to the right schools and they speak the right language and they do all these sorts of things. And that is the thing that kind of gives them credibility in front of the church in Corinth. And what Paul is saying is something uh, totally different. So, uh, A.G., put my notes up here. So what do you depend on and what is your boast? That's the question, right? Now, no one in their right mind seeks out suffering and difficulty and degradation, right? No, Nobody uh, really wants to experience that. But the false apostles, the super apostles, as Paul calls them uh, in the last week's passage, are the kind of people we must often willingly follow. And I want to echo this again. Uh, because we're resume builders, when we recognize another resume builder or we recognize somebody else who's really gifted, uh, who, who is, is so impressive, you know, we are very quick uh, to follow them. And the problem is that, that those people who are gifted, those people who are uh, extremely gifted, uh, might struggle with character issues. And I don't mean that in the way in which we tend to think about it. What I mean to, to, to think about that is that the person who is gifted uh, will always experience the temptation to trust their gift and not Jesus. The person who's gifted and dynamic will, will always rely on those things more ultimately or be tempted to rely on those things more ultimately than they will simply on the cross of Christ, right? And so, so that's what, what Paul is getting at here. And that is the contrast that he's setting up between himself and the super apostles. And so what we know is that they are strong and impressive and gifted, and they're so strong that the people, as Paul says here, willingly allow themselves to be made slaves. In other words, that, that, that these people are so impressive that they are sacrificing the freedom that Jesus died to give them to associate themselves with these apostles and their teachers, uh, their teachings. To be devoured. In other words, they're, they're willing to give up their stuff. Um, to be associated with these people. To even be taken advantage of. And these, these super apostles, they put on airs. And in fact, we like it that they put on airs because that just kind of adds to their uh, mystique of who they are and, 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 and how impressive they are. And so much so that Paul even says that they're so impressive that the people in Corinth will allow them to strike people in the face. Now, there's a lot of debate about whether these teachers were, were so impressive and people were so uh, slavish in their devotion to them that they allowed them to slap people in the face. What, whatever else may be true about that, what we know is that in this culture, there's probably no other uh, thing that you could do to humiliate somebody else uh, like slapping them in the face. Remember, as Jesus is going to trial, they they smack him in the face. Right? That was a that was a sign, not just of violence, but of degradation and and humiliating the person who was struck. So so this is 
this is a, this is a cautionary tale for us that, that we can be so swept up, as I said last week, that the heart beats faster than the mind can think, that we can get so swept up in giftedness and impressiveness and shiny and shimmering resumes that what happens to us is we miss uh, the core of, of what our dependence is and our ultimate dependence on Christ. Next slide. So Paul says, if you're willing to throw your support and get, behind, get with these people, you who's wise? Do you think that's wise? You're foolish. So if, you're, if, if, if that's what you think wisdom is, I think that's foolishness. Now allow me to get into the mud with you and show you what a fool and how foolish I am. And so he gives a list of achievements. And it's interesting that the first one is you, you may... You may you may miss what's important about this. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. He uses three things that you might be tempted to think are all the same, but they're not. He begins by saying, listen, ethnically, spiritually, culturally, any, any way you want to define it, man, I'm kosher through and through, Right? I, I, I've got, I've got the ethnic and the cultural, uh, uh, resume down. So, so we read that and we read these first three things and we think, well, that, wow, he's, he's going to go on to build this list of achievements. And so he gives us his resume, right? And so what he tells us is how much scripture has he memorized? Because we, is more than likely Paul memorized the first five books of the Bible and most of the Psalms probably. Right. That's one of the things he wants us to know. Look at how much scripture I've memorized. And look at not only that, look at look at how much of the Bible I actually wrote. So that's point one. Right. And then the second thing that he lists is look at all the converts I have. I have I have hundreds of converts. You don't believe me? Here's their addresses and cell phone numbers and you can call them and they will vouch for me. I got lots of them, lots of converts. Hey, and if that's not enough, just go to Galatia, go to Antioch, go to all these other places, and you'll see all these churches I planted that are up and flourishing and doing well. And not only that, not only have I done that, but think of all my disciples. Here's Timothy. Call him up. Talk to Barnabas. Call him up. They'll speak well of me. I got, I got great letters of reference. I got, I got a whole file of them. Check me out. How many elders and deacons has he trained in all of these churches? Just imagine these, all these, this, these ministries that are going and all this kind of stuff. Here they are. Check those people out. And in fact, the part of the whole point of this letter is that he's raising money. Uh, for the church in Jerusalem, how what's 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 the number of cash that he's raised? Right. I mean, that's come on. That's those are the things that we would look for that we would think, you know, that's hey, it's measurable. It's quantifiable. These are actual achievements that he's accomplished. Now, what I find interesting about that is. He uses numbers in his resume, but it's not numbers like this, is it? What does he say? Um, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less once. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. So he's, he's willing to quantify 
his, uh, his resume here, right? But, but it's not the way in which we would think about it. It's not, it's not, uh, uh, how, uh, uh, just how impressive and how much he's accomplished. Rather, his credentials lie not in what he has accomplished, but in what he suffered. That's pretty profound thing for us to think about. His credentials lie not in what he has accomplished, but in what he has suffered. So that begins all automatically to kind of change the way in which we think about this and kind of reorient us. He has um, been humiliated. So not only has he suffered all this stuff, but it's, isn't it funny how he lists all these things and he talks about being stoned and, and, and being uh, shipwrecked and all of that kind of stuff. And then he speaks again about, you know, his connection to the church. And then it's like he remembers. And, oh, yeah, to cap the stack, the, the, the most humiliating thing ever is when I was let down by uh, some people in a basket through a small hole, a small hole in the wall uh, to escape Damascus. And that word there, we read it, basket. I remember as a kid seeing pictures of this in my Sunday school literature of thinking, those are impressive baskets that a man can get in. You know what these baskets are? They're baskets for fish. Um, I've recently changed my diet, and uh, one of the things that I eat now uh, regularly for lunch at my desk is a little can of sardines. And uh, I try to clean it up, but uh, just in the last week, Ann came in to fix something on my computer, and she's like, it stinks in here. (laughs) And I'm like, thanks, thanks, yeah, that's uh, my lunch sardines. She's like, uh, well, uh, I'm not coming back in here as long as you're doing that. Right. So, so he's let down in a basket that smelled like that. The ultimate and humiliation, right? Now, let me just say right off the bat, we can hear this. And, and there are some of us in the room uh, this morning that are hearing this. And, and what is happening to you is your flesh is actually expanding. Because what you're thinking is, well, wow, the Apostle Paul and I have a lot in common. We've suffered a lot. And so you better believe it. I've got a resume of suffering, and that qualifies me. But you'd be wrong, because that's not what he's saying. Not what he's saying uh, at all. Because we might be tempted to use our sufferings for the kingdom of God as some kind of qualifier uh, in and of themselves, right? That somehow or other uh, we might do that. But look at what he says in verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Nobody does that. Nobody does that, right? That I'm going to show you just how weak uh, I am. So we might, uh, we might think that Paul is saying we have to listen to him, give him respect simply because he suffered so much. Uh, rather, Paul knows that suffering in itself cannot change us for the better. Because let me just tell you something. In my experience in dealing and loving and being in congregational life for as long as I have, I have watched people suffer. I've watched people suffer horrible things. And I will tell you 
that we tend to think that people who suffer automatically somehow or other get more sanctified or get uh, more Christ-like. That's not so. There are some people who I have seen suffer who get hard as stones. There's some people who suffer who get bitter and angry and, oh, ugly, frankly. And there are others who suffer who become more beautiful. And so... So how does this work? Well, I think if we, if we think of our, if we think again, just as our, as our accomplishments as something that's a resume builder, if we look at our suffering in and of itself as a resume builder, it too will leave us with a boast. It will leave us with a dependence that ultimately throws us back upon ourselves rather than boasting in our weakness and boasting in our suffering to magnify our Savior to demonstrate that the power that is at work in us has nothing to do with us, that the power that is being demonstrated here is the power of Christ and his cross, his sacrifice, his atonement, and not just what I've done, right? Uh, so we have to ask the question, what kind of fruit does all this suffering produce in us? That is why Paul says, I have credibility I am an apostle not just because I've suffered a lot and not just because I've, I've had all these experiences, but because these experiences are the things that God has used in my life to reorient me and, frankly, to humble me, to tear my hands and my heart and my affections away from my drive to build my resume before God and his people and to make my only boast the only thing that I can hold up in front of myself and in front of others, but the cross of Christ. Next slide. So, so I, I think, I, I think we'd have to be, we need to be really careful about that. So these experiences could be helpful in our understanding of the gospel or they could be detrimental. It depends on what it makes us depend on. Right? All of this stuff, all of these things that happen to us, that's, that's what we have to think about. And so, so the, 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 the sense that somehow or other, you know, my, my worth, my value, my identity, my boast, my dependence, if it ever comes back to me, then I've lost any sense of the reality of the gospel. I've lost any sense of the reality of who I belong to. And I've frankly lost any sense of the reality of, of what, what my ultimate and real need is. Next slide, AJ. So, I was listening this week to a uh, uh, to a, a sermon uh, preached by Tim Keller to a group of seminary students, and um, about uh, the um, well, just about the danger of pride, uh, and why uh, in the in the context of this uh, uh, sermon he preached that uh, very few of those uh, people listening to him would make it to the end of their careers in ministry because of pride. Uh, there were about 100 people that graduated from me and my class at RTS in 1986. And out of those 100, uh, about 30 of us are still doing ministry. Now, there's a lot of reasons why uh, folks 
I don't, they, they might not have ever really been called to the ministry in the first place. Uh, they might have actually served churches that didn't deserve to have pastors, and uh, they were crushed, you know. Uh, but there's a lot of guys uh, who, um, frankly, uh, well, humility was, was not a part of the package. Um, and so what Paul gets at here, and I think what Tim, Tim uh, uh, allows us to see, that consider all the things God has done to break your pride. Look at all the ways he's brought you to the end of yourself so that you would cling to him more tightly. Let all your failures and disappointments and weaknesses drive you like a nail into the love of God. I've thought about that image all week. What might God use in your life to drive you like a nail into the love of God? And what, what might do that is something that, you could, that, that guts you so much that you have no other dependence, no other boast except in the love of God for you. What might that be? What, 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 how, God, how might God love you so much uh, that to help you uh, and to give you a deeper understanding of the profound nature of the love of God for you that he might put you in a situation where you have to get in a smelly basket with fish and be let down in the middle of the night outside of a wall of a city to run for your life. Right. So so that so the issue here for us is says, let all your failures, disappointments and weaknesses drive you like a nail into the love of God. It's only by embracing them that you're ever going to become a true minister and make it to the finish line. So so that's the question for us today. And in, in what or whom do I boast is your boast in that, you know, well, I, I boast about suffering. But but your ultimate boast in your suffering is. But look how I've overcome that. Rather than look at these things that, that God has used in my life. Look at, look at how faithful He's been. Look at how great He's been. Look at the, the, the fruit that He has borne in my life because what He has forced me to do, He has driven me by these disappointments and failures and weakness even deeper to boast in His love because all I have to boast in is weakness. Right? Uh, how has success or failure uh, shaped uh, how dependent I am? And then lastly, what has driven me like a nail into the love of God? Now, maybe, maybe you don't want to hear this. And maybe what I, what I recognize about this is, is that our temptation in this situation would be to push back. It's not that bad. Can I get a little credit here? Can't, can't a little bit of this be ultimately about me? Well, the question is, the question is, you know, if you're going to boast in weakness, the point of boasting in weakness is not to magnify yourself and about how cool you are with your weakness. But the point of boasting in weakness is to magnify Jesus Christ. That he must increase, I must decrease. And that is where true freedom and ultimately, as Paul says here, true authority comes from. This is hard for us. You know, uh, we're, we're a bunch of resume builders and we're thinking about our own resume and we're thinking about each other's resumes and we're thinking about each other 
all the time. When in fact, when in fact, what Jesus is doing, he knows that about you. He loves resume builders and he might even be in the business of scratching some things off your resume so that your weakness will magnify his power. Let's ask him. Let's pray to him. Let's ask him to help us repent this morning. Lord, we come to you today. We thank you for um, the fact that uh, you love us so much uh, and you don't allow our pride, you don't allow our drive to um, boast in ourselves or depend upon our gifts or those sorts of things to be what defines us, but that you love us enough uh, to cause us to see our weaknesses as means whereby you get glory and honor. So help us uh, this morning, help us today uh, to trust you, help us to repent of being resume resume builders and uh, resume watchers, And help us today to more fully entrust ourselves, our reputations, our lives, our futures uh, into your hands. Jesus, would it be so that our only boast is you? Our only dependence is you. Would you help us with that? Would you shape that more and more uh, into us? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.